Must have, must have been a rule this week. If you sit right here, you had to go on vacation. I don't know. Uh, or Larry and Janice did something to make everybody mad. I don't <laughs> I'm sure that's not it. But. Um, to this point in our, uh, our sermon series, we've been, we've been discussing uh, topics that uh, uh, are generally positive, um, uplifting in nature. We've talked about things like the image of God, um, breath of life, uh, the Sabbath. Uh, but today we, we've come to the first topic in, in this series that, uh, uh, that, that is more widely difficult just due to the pain and sorrow um, that, that come with it. Um, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, how glorious that would have been, but if they had not sinned and there was no fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, then, then we'd have no need to talk about our topic today. But because they did, and because there are consequences and outcomes associated with sin, then, then we're left to ponder difficult topics such as death, which is, which is what we will examine today. Um, it's a difficult topic, right? Because death has impacted every one of us in some way during our life. I mean, it, it is a, a universal human experience. Unfortunately so, but it is. And, and, and because of those experiences, there can be strong emotions that arise within us when we talk about a topic like death, and I would, I would argue strong emotions should arise within us when we talk about death, and, and, and we'll kind of get into that later this morning, but, but because of those emotions, it can, be, it can be tough to think objectively about, about death, and, and, and this morning, I, I don't intend in any way to downplay our emotions connected to this topic, but but my goal is to, to hopefully have an, an objective conversation about death, look at the biblical text regarding what it teaches us, and, and, and in striving for that goal, my, my hope and my prayer this morning is that, that what we talk about can then be combined with our emotions, and, and, and you know, when we think about loved ones, uh, friends who've died in the past, uh, but, but also preparing us for the future when, when those situations will arise. I hope that that objective look can be combined with our emotions to guide our, our thinking and guide how we walk through those seasons. So, so that's, that's kind of what we're aiming for uh, this morning. Um, with that being said, let, let's uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Um, we'll, we'll do as we've been doing through this series. We'll start in those first three chapters and then progress and see how uh, the topic is unpacked throughout the rest of Scripture. But Genesis chapter 2, and uh, I'll start in verse 16. The Lord, command, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, th- now this is the first time the word die. P- 
appears in the biblical text. I, I think you can argue this is the first time in all creation where something negative is spoken of. And, and I even wonder, you know, I try, to, I try to put myself in Adam's shoes there. Does he truly grasp what it means that if he eats of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that he will die? I mean, presumably he has no past experience upon which to draw when that statement is given to him. And, and, you know, it's just kind of conjecture. We don't know for sure, but, but regardless of what Adam did or didn't know about death at that point, um, th- there's much that the Bible goes on to, to tell us about death. And if you look at uh, the sermon notes for today, there's three questions that we're going to work our way through this morning. And, and up first is the question, what is death? What is death? And that, that might seem like a silly question, right? I mean, I just, I said earlier, it's a universal human experience. We've all been touched by it in one way or the other. So we are well acquainted with death. But what is it? I, I think one of the things we have to realize is that we get a whole lot of mileage out of our English word, death. Because, for example, we'll talk about people who have died. But we'll also talk about animals who've died, yet, yet instinctively I think we know that there's something slightly different about animals dying and humans dying. Maybe we can't verbalize it or can't put our finger on it, but, but we recognize that. We'll say that a plant has died. And again, we realize that, that there is something else different there. And, and we could really go to an extreme and say that, that batteries have died once they run out of energy. And again, we really know that there's something different. So, so even when we use this word, uh, you know, we're using it in all these different, different ways and contexts. So uh, that being said, when God tells Adam that he will surely die after eating the fruit of that tree, what does he mean? What is God driving at there? And, and in some ways, I would say this is the, at the heart of the discussion that the serpent and Eve have in Genesis chapter 3. You know, Eve quotes God's words, to which then the servant tries to refute by saying, no, you will not surely die. Eve said, well, uh, God said, yes, we eat this tree, we will die. Serpent said, no, you won't die. And, and you know, I... I think you could argue that they're not talking about the same thing. And I think on purpose, I think, I think Satan's attempting to be deceptive there, but I don't think they're really talking exactly about the same thing because there is, there's different aspects of death. Even the timing, perhaps, you could say. They're not referring to the same timing. When we look at what the Bible teaches us about death, there is unquestionably a spiritual component and a physical component. There's both. And upon eating the fruit, a portion of the spiritual component of death took place for Adam and Eve then. But the physical component of death, for Adam at least, according to the genealogies, didn't take place for another 900 years. So even what was taking place there, man, there was kind of a 900-year gap between death, depending how you define it, based on 
on that conversation there. So, so I, I think the best way for us to hold all of this intention is to recognize that there is a physical sense and a spiritual sense to death. And when the Bible talks about both of those, it speaks of death as a separation. That, that, that is primarily how the Bible frames death. It is a separation. So for the physical component, when it comes to physical death, there is a separation of body and, and spirit soul that takes place. That separation there. And, and we see this lots of places. For example, when Jesus hung upon the cross in Luke chapter 23, in verse 46, it says, Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then once he breathed his last, his body continued to hang there on that cross, but his spirit departed. He committed his spirit into his father's hands. There was a separation that took place. Um, Also in in Luke's gospel, the the story is given to us of Jesus restoring the life of the daughter of Jairus. And when Jesus told her to arise, Luke records that her spirit returned and she got up at once. So we see the other side of it there, the separation that had taken place, there was a reuniting, and once her spirit returned to her body, then she got up. Um, In James chapter two, verse 26, this separation is in view when James writes that as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. He's using what is known about physical death to make a point about faith and works as the body apart from the spirit is dead. So again, there's a separation there. And, and I, I think in some ways, physical death is the reversal of what we saw take place earlier in Genesis chapter two. Remember God formed Adam's body out of the dust of the ground and then he breathed into Adam the breath of life. And you might say that by breathing into Adam, he united Adam's body with his spirit in that moment. Now, were sin to never enter the picture, there would have been no separation of that united body and spirit. But the warning that God gave to Adam in Genesis 2.17 was that there would be death in conjunction with disobedience. There would be death in conjunction with sin. His body and his spirit would be separated as a result of that, leaving his body lifeless once again. And and in chapter 3, verse 19 of Genesis, that's what we see. God told Adam that to dust he shall return. In other words, when there's this separation, your body will return to dust, just as I took it from dust and united it with spirit. So, so in essence, when we speak of human death in physical terms, this is the physical component, it is not accurate to say that a person ceases to exist. That is not accurate. Rather, the body and spirit have been separated, and the person's physical body no longer has life within it. The person's spirit is very much still alive. It's just been separated. And, and we'll get to the location of the spirit in a little bit. But for now, we can't, we, we shouldn't think, we can't say that they no longer exist. They very much do. It's been a separation. And, and kind of one more quick thing on uh, uh, physical death. 
For believers, while there is a separation of body from spirit, there is not a separation of person from God upon physical death. Romans 8 says that, that neither angels, nor rulers, nor height, nor depth, nor death is listed in there. Death will not separate us from the love of God. Physical death is being referred to there. Will not separate us from the love of God. Physical death for believers is not a separation from God. <laughs> Quite the opposite, really. I mean, Jesus told the thief on the cross that uh, the one that put his faith in him, that he would be with Jesus in paradise that very day. You'd be with me this very day. Paul talked about departing to be with Christ. So physical death is not for believers a separation from God. Spiritual death, on the other hand, if we move to talk about that component, spiritual death is the separation of a person from God. So in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about what judgment day will be like, both for those who received him and those who did not. He's talking about both. And, and for those who did receive him, Jesus said they'll be, tum- they'll be told to come, you who are blessed by my Father. I mean, you can hear it even in the command, come. Come, you know, be with, be close. But for those who did not receive Jesus, they will be told to go away into eternal punishment. And again, in the command, you can hear the separation there. Go away into eternal punishment. And, and that concept of punishment in connection with spiritual death is, is used other places in scripture as well. Um, Romans 5.12 states that death came into the world through sin. And it goes on and it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And we know that in both of those verses, the death being spoken of is spiritual death. And the reason we know that is because those two verses bookend a section that talks about uh, not physical life and death, but spiritual life and death. I mean, We often read those from the physical perspective, right? The wages of sin is death, and we say, well, that's why people die physically. Yes, that brought physical death into the world, but in that passage, what is being honed in on is is spiritual death. The wages of sin is spiritual death, separation from God. And and, and we kind of get some clarity here. In, In Revelation, the term second death is used. And I think that kind of helps us to maybe distinguish a bit more between physical and spiritual death. Physical death would be the first, spiritual death would be the second death. So Revelation 20.14, Revelation 21.8 say that the lake of fire is the second death. And and the lake of fire is that place where those who've rejected God are, are sentenced to spend eternity, separated from him. So, so all that to say, Death at its core is a separation. It's a separation. Physical death is the separation of body from spirit. Spiritual death is a separation of person from God. God was speaking of both components components when he warned Adam not to eat from the tree. 
Immediately after eating from the tree, however, uh, the separation of person from God took place. That's what the story goes on to tell us. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. We see playing out in a physical sense what was taking place spiritually. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the garden is that first sanctuary. It's that first place where God met with, where God was with his people. Upon eating the fruit, upon sinning, They were banished from that. You can kind of physically see what was taking place spiritually. They were separated from God's presence. And then about 900 years later, there was the physical separation for Adam when he died and his body and spirit were separated. Now, if we stopped there, we would be helpless and we would be hopeless if we just stopped right there But we can praise God this morning that the story continues and that there is so much more that the Bible reveals to us about God's work in this world. That the Son of God became human in order to win victory over death that we're talking about this morning. And he showed that victory. He showed it in glimpses here and there during his life when he would bring people back from the dead, just like with the daughter of Jairus like we talked about. But he ultimately, ultimately showed it through his, his own rising from the dead, that he won that victory. Jesus is victorious over death. It is unquestionable. He rose from the dead. But then we look at the second question this morning on our, on our uh, sermon outline. I think that truth leads to the question, why then do Christians still die physically? Why? If, if Jesus has been victorious over death, why do his people still die? And, and this is where emotions can really come back in force, isn't, isn't it? I mean, I mean, especially, especially if my son or my daughter or my spouse or my parent or, or, or whoever that was close to me died an untimely death or a painful death. We can especially ask that question, Why? If Jesus has defeated death, why does that happen? Why does that happen to a believer if the penalty of their sins has been paid for in Jesus Christ? Why do they still die physically? I mean, we have that question, right? Why? And, you know, it, it is next to impossible to know with absolute clarity and with absolute certainty why our sovereign God allows or doesn't allow certain things to happen in our lives. Uh, there's times where he can or maybe has revealed his purposes to us, but more often than not, we are left wondering and having to trust him. But we can know some things with certainty. There are some things that the Bible clearly presents to us, and we can know with certainty that physical death is not punishment from God upon his believers. Physical death is not punishment from God upon his people. Uh, Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and just so we're clear, no condemnation means no condemnation. No condemnation means no condemnation. If if in Christ our, our sins will never be punished by way of our own physical death or the physical death of somebody that we love, 
Our sins will not be punished in that way. No condemnation means no condemnation. The Bible is super clear about that. That being said, while we ourselves are a new creation in Jesus, the world in which we live is still fallen, clearly. The world in which we live is still fallen, and God, in his infinite wisdom, which again, we do not have ultimate clarity about or ultimate understanding of, he has chosen not to take us from this world the instant we put our faith in him for our salvation. Obviously, right, because we are still here. He has chosen not to do that. So we are left with us as believers whose sin has been paid for, believers who are not condemned because of our sin. We are left living in a fallen world, marred by sin, still dealing with the consequences of death. We are left to live in this fallen world until our spirit is mercifully removed from it and then soon to be followed by our physical bodies at the resurrection. You know, if you were to go back, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. There were two trees that were highlighted, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil from which Adam was commanded, do not eat or you will surely die. And also the tree of life from which he was allowed to eat, and you might even say encouraged to eat. God would not have put it there if it were not for Adam to eat from it. Now once Adam sinned, and once sin entered the world, and he experienced that separation from God, he was banished both from the garden and from the tree of life which grew there. And in fact, the cherubim were placed there guarding the way to the tree of life. That is the expressed purpose given to us in chapter three. The cherubim guarded the way, not to the garden, to the tree of life. I mean, can you imagine after sin entered the world, eating from the tree of life and having to carry the burden of living in this fallen world for eternity? I mean, can we imagine that? And how many times have we said the day is coming when we will be set free as believers from this world and oh, how we look forward to heaven. Imagine eating from the tree of life and not then dying physically. I I mean, remember, physical, physical death is that separation of body from spirit, but it's also the, the further coming together of our spirit with God. Right, our spirit departs from our body, but we go to God's presence. And so, so physical death in this life can be painful and it can be sorrowful, both for the person facing death and for their loved ones as well. But it is also a mercy shown to God's people and that they depart from this fallen world to be reunited with God. He takes something bad, something that was never intended to be, and he brings incredible good out of it by reuniting at first our spirits with him and then later our bodies upon resurrection. I mean, this, this is what caused Paul to say that to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. Why did he say that? Because he knew that he was departing from this fallen world and he would the gain would be being with Christ, 
instantly in spirit and then later with his resurrected body as well. And then in, in addition to that, physical death is something that God uses to deepen our intimacy with him. Again, that doesn't mean that there's not strong emotions that come up within us. There should be. But he uses that. The, the knowledge of our own approaching death, the death of a loved one, can drive us deeply into the arms of God. Perhaps you've experienced that in your life. Um, God, God uses suffering, as unpleasant as it can be. He uses it to draw us to himself. He uses it to work out the sanctification process within us. I mean, just, just some examples of it. Hebrews 2 uh, verse 10 says that the author of our salvation, Jesus, was himself made perfect, made complete through his suffering. Uh, Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says that he wants to share in Christ's sufferings and so become like him in his death. Uh, Romans 8.17 says that through suffering with Jesus, we are heirs with Christ and glorified with him. 1 Peter 4.13 tells us to rejoice when we share in Christ's sufferings. And the emotions within me do not like to hear those things when I think about death, right? I mean, we do not want to think about death in that way, that God will use it for good. But when Paul writes that God works all things for the good of those who love him, that does include physical death, that he will take something as bad as that and bring good out of it. And again, I, I go back to what I said before. I don't and you don't have absolute clarity, clarity and absolute understanding regarding how he does it and, and, and the ways in which he does it. But he does it. And he will do it and he has promised to do it and he's a God who keeps his promises. And so even regardless of what that means for us in this life, we know that when the time comes for our body to be separated from our spirit, they will be reunited once again in Christ. At the resurrection of our physical bodies, what was separated will be brought back together. What was bad and unnatural will be fixed. And in addition to that, the, those who've been separated from us, those who've died physically and are not here with us in spirit now, that we will be reunited with them once again in Christ in eternity. That separation that has taken place will be brought back together. I mean, in Christ, all of the separation that death has caused because of physical death, it's, it's going to be restored in fullness. And that, that, that is why we look forward to that day. And it is coming. That day is coming. It might seem like it is taking a long time to get here. I mean, it might seem like the days drag on and it has been so long since that person has passed away and we miss them terribly. But the day is coming when that, when that bringing back together will take place in Christ. And I think, I think the certainty of that promise then drives us right into the final question that we're looking at this morning. How ought Christians think about death? 
how ought we think about death? And I think the, the first thing that we have to say is that it is entirely proper to mourn death. It is entirely proper for our emotions to be a part of our response when it comes to death. Even though, even though we know that our physical death is a separation of body from spirit and even though we know that those who've died physically are still alive in spirit with Christ, it is an unnatural separation over which we can mourn. Uh, you think back to Jesus. We saw Jesus mourn the death of Lazarus even though he knew that he was going to bring him back to life that he was going to restore life to his physical body and that Lazarus would walk out of that grave shortly. Jesus still mourned what was taking place there. We can look at the, the example of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. When he was stoned, we're told in the text that the believers made great lamentation over him. Even though they knew that Stephen was with Jesus in heaven, that his spirit was there in the presence of Christ. They knew that, but they still made great lamentation. Um, uh, when Paul wrote to the believers in Thessalonica, he, he didn't tell them not to mourn for those who had died. Rather, he, he said, don't mourn like those who have no hope. In other words, mourn like those who know it's an unnatural separation of body and spirit, but one which will be made right once again. Mourn like that. Mourn the loss felt in this life with an eye toward the resurrection that is coming in eternal life. That, that's how Paul leads the believers there. Mourn, but mourn based on the hope and on the promise that we have. And, and really along those lines, Christians ought not to think about physical death as the end. It is not the end. We should not think about physical death as the end. We are given assurances in the Bible that those who die in Christ go immediately into his presence. Immediately. We've already talked about Luke 23 when Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross and said, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. There's the immediacy to that statement. Today you will be with me. Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 that he would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He knew that to depart from this earth was to be with God in his spirit. He knew that. Likewise, in uh, Philippians 1, he says that to, to depart is to be with Christ, which is better by far. He's talking about this separation, and he knows that he and his spirit will be with Christ immediately. And so what this means is that there is not some sort of soul sleep in which our spirits are unconscious for a time just waiting for the bodily resurrection. Uh, we also know then that there isn't such a thing as purgatory, which can often be taught within the Catholic Church primarily. Uh, you know, the support for purgatory comes, from a, um, comes predominantly from a book in the Apocrypha, called Second Maccabees. Um, the writings of the Apocrypha, the, that group of texts, were not accepted as part of the biblical canon, as part of the Bible, and rightly so, and I'm not gonna get into a deep theology lesson uh, in response, we could do that later if you'd like, but 
But uh, what that means is we cannot base any doctrine upon something found in those books that we can't find anywhere else in the Bible. And that's what purgatory is. It's something that seems to be referenced in 2 Maccabees, but it, it has no basis anywhere else in the Bible. And so it, it, I think it is comforting to know that those in Christ who've died physically were instantly in the presence of their loving Savior. Instantly. Their soul's not sleeping. They're not in purgatory. They are instantly in the presence of Christ. There's great comfort there. We should take comfort in that. But there's also a flip side to that coin. And, and admittedly, it is difficult to think about those who've died physically in rejection of Jesus. I mean, that, that's the other side of that coin. Um, the Bible is also equally clear that, that those who died apart from Jesus are immediately in eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. Uh, Luke 16, Jesus tells the story about the rich man and and Lazarus who had both died. Um, The rich man who had rejected Jesus was in anguish. Great anguish. I mean, he longed for Lazarus who was was with God to simply cool his tongue with a drop of water. Um, the, The separation of a person from God, which the person desired during their life, will only be continued for eternity upon their physical death. And and I'll tell you, everything within me wants to stand up here this morning and be able to tell us some good news regarding those who've died in rejection of Jesus. I would love to be able to stand up here and, and ease that pain for us. Because we probably all know someone who's died in that manner, right? This isn't theoretical, this is personal. We can hold out hope, we can hold out hope that perhaps they accepted Jesus on their deathbed. We could hope in that. God is the judge of their hearts, not us. So we can hope in that. But the Bible is clear that spiritual death results in eternal separation from God. I I can't in truthfulness stand up here and and speak any other way to you. Um, That's humbling, isn't it? That, That is a... It is a humbling thought. It is a thought that ought to, <clears throat> it ought to increase the urgency with which we share the gospel message with others. I mean, there ought to, that, that, that ought to drive us as we think about that, that reality. <clears throat> I, I want to end this morning by, by focusing on that ultimate victory that we were talking about the victory over death which Jesus has won. And I want, I want to read again some of Paul's words from, from really his most famous passage on this topic in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Jim read this for us earlier, but I want to read a few of them again. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. It says, Then comes the end, and, and it was just talking about the Resurrection. So this is after the resurrection. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. 
For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death has already been defeated. The victory is won. The defeat is certain. The ultimate destruction is coming. That says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we live in a world now where sin, where, where death is defeated, but it will ultimately be destroyed at the end. When the end comes, that's what Paul writes, when the end comes, death will be destroyed. I mean, Revelation 21.4 is the wonderful promise that on the new earth, death shall be no more. That's when death will be destroyed forever. And all of that separation that death has caused will be restored, never to be separated again. So it's not just restored, it's restored forever. So in Christ, our bodies and our spirits will be reunited, never to be separated ever again. In Christ, our relationships with fellow believers will be reunited, never to be separated ever again. And, and ultimately in Christ, our relationship with God will be fully reunited, never to be separated ever again. Because when death is destroyed, so is the separation. That is what we look forward to. Upon the return of Jesus, death will be destroyed forever. Won't that be a great day? Upon his return, death will be destroyed. And so, in light of that promise, <clears throat> excuse me, what I wanted to do, I, I, think, I think the best way to end this morning is to, to end with the declaration and the response given to us at the very end of the Bible. The end of Revelation. This is what it says in Revelation 22, verse 20. It says this, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And of course, that is Jesus talking. Surely I am coming soon. And then the response is this, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Surely I am coming soon. And the response, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So what I want to do is I'm going to read the first part of that verse And then let's all respond together in unison. Amen, come Lord Jesus. So I'll read it, and then let's all do the response. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Let's do it again. Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Once more, because I think it's so good for our souls. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And when he comes, death is destroyed forever. What a great day. What a great day that's going to be. Let's, let's stand and, and pray and <clears throat> thank God for those promises. God, we come before you this morning.
people who have been touched by death. It's a universal experience, God. And while we know you've not created us for it, because of the fall, we experience it. And so I thank you first and foremost that you are a God who binds us up, that you provide us comfort, that you provide us peace. God, I pray that in the midst of the the pain and the sorrow and the mourning that comes in this fallen world, that you would remind us to look to you, that, that we can rest in you, that we can trust in you. And it's still tough. It's still tough when we are not physically with those that we love. But we thank you so much for the promise, the certainty that not only will our own spirits and bodies be reunited, but that we will be reunited with those who have gone before us in you. And so we praise you for that, God. I thank you that all of the chaos and destruction that that sin and death bring has been defeated by you and I thank you that the ultimate destruction of it is coming. We plead for you to come. Jesus, we, we desire that you come soon, that you set right what has been made wrong and we take responsibility for that. We know it's our sin that has caused all of it but we thank you that you took our sin, that you defeated death, and that the destruction is coming. God, would you come soon, and would you bind us up until that glorious day? God, it's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.